Good morning, church. You know, the first thing I want to say to you this morning is I'm impressed with how awake you look this morning. You're doing very well. For those of you who set your smartphone last night and uh, didn't really pay attention, it's true. You actually did uh, miss an hour of sleep last night. So if you feel tired this morning, it's for a reason. But I have good news for you this morning. This morning, we have an incredible passage of scripture that is sure to maintain our attention this morning. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. So we continue our sermon series entitled Witnesses, a study in the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 12. We're going to look at the all but the last verse of the chapter and save that for next week. Acts chapter 12. Please Follow along with me in your Bible. If you don't have one, we have the paperback Bibles near you. I'd love for you to follow along with me as I read Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 24. Incredible episode of Scripture. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. But Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. (laughs) But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down to Judea, to Caesarea, and spent time there. Now, Herod 
was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because the country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Heavenly Father, we thank you for recording the scriptures for us. This morning, we trust that this Scripture also is profitable for us, Lord, that we would be encouraged. We do pray that we would know you, we would understand your gospel, and that we would receive whatever rebuke is here for us. So, Lord, we pray that you would work by your word this morning. Your spirit would work in us according to your word, and that you would be glorified in our midst. Thank you, Lord. Pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, Acts chapter 12, this incredible episode, is the second of three accounts of a prison rescue in Acts. As the authorities seek to silence these witnesses of the gospel, the message becomes clear to us. What becomes clear to us in these prison rescues and in other places of suffering and yet ongoing gospel proclamation, we see that the word of God is unchained. The word of God is unbound. You may oppose Jesus. You may even kill his messengers, but you will never succeed in thwarting the purposes for which God has sent forth word of redemption. He has a purpose, and it will be accomplished. And that means that you'll never destroy the hope of the redeemed. If God has sent forth a word of redemption for those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have sent those people as his messengers, you can kill the messengers, but you cannot destroy the hope of the redeemed. God will establish his church through the proclamation of the word and the salvation of the lost. Now, this morning's passage has a flow to it. It has an order to it. There's a story that's being told, and it's not just the story of the history that is held out for us. It's a story that Luke is telling us about God, his spirit, the word, and his witnesses. This morning is a passage about the rescue of Peter out of prison, it would seem, but it's bracketed or flanked by uh, um, the murder of James at the beginning and by the death of Herod at the end. It becomes very clear that Luke, the author of Acts, is telling us something in this passage. There's a comparison that's being made. As John Piper put it when he preached through this passage, the point of this passage is, if you oppose Jesus, you lose. If you oppose Jesus, you lose. The summary statement is a powerful exclamation at the end of the passage. Verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Unabated 
unchained, unrestrained. So this morning, we're going to look at those three sections together. We're going to begin by the first bracket of the story where the king, in this passage at the beginning, it says the king laid violent hands. The king laid violent hands. What's Herod doing here? Well, King Herod is a political subject of Rome, and yet he'd been granted the title of king by the Roman authorities. And his job as king and political subject of Rome was to maintain a peace and prosperity in the region of the world that he was to govern. And that region included Jerusalem. And he knew that there was a growing dispute and conflict between the religious authorities of the Jews and a growing church of Jesus Christ. And he saw in that conflict an opportunity to, to find himself in good favor with the religious authorities. He saw this as an opportunity to grow his power. And make no mistake, Herod had a God. He did. His God was power. His God was his own glory. Herod is the epitome of the pride that the Lord opposes consistently, explicitly throughout the scriptures. This isn't the first time that we've seen a person who is bearing witness to Jesus killed by a King Herod. There was another King Herod. You may recall John the Baptist being beheaded simply to enter as a, a entertain dinner guests, maintain his pride and position. Now, let us remember a few things. So remember for a moment and and compare the rule of Herod in his pride with the way of Jesus as he describes it in Luke chapter 22, verses 25 through 26. Here's what Jesus says about leadership. Kings of the Gentiles... Exercise lordship over them. Now, there's an accusation in here that Herod is truly a subject of Rome. He has nothing truly to do with the people of God. There's an accusation in this statement. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. It's an incredibly powerful lesson here. The power and the influence of the church does not grow because a great leader increases in power and authority. Period. Say it again. we got to remember it. We forget it quickly and repeatedly. The church does not grow in influence or success or effectiveness because of the power or authority of any one of its leaders apart from Jesus Christ, who is our chief shepherd, literally the senior pastor of his church. One of the apostles, James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder, is murdered at the beginning of this passage that ends with the increase of the word of God. Now, we should take a moment and pay attention to the words that are here. Pay attention to the reality that it puts on display for us. There is something to mourn for us in this passage. One of our apostles, 
was murdered on that day. We can have sympathy with those who went before and suffered for the sake of the word coming to us over time. It's tragic when one of the Lord's beloved suffer. But it's also a sign of the glory to come that we do not suffer as those who have no hope. James was murdered. And then we consider Peter, the great mouthpiece of the early church, and he's imprisoned. Not a lot of proclamation going on there as he's in chains with two guards next to him, it would seem. And so, Certainly, the disciples had to be asking this question early in this passage, is the gospel in chains? And that question is asked over and over again by the church as its leaders find themselves imprisoned for gospel proclamation. Have the rulers of this world, the enemies of the gospel, managed to shut up the spread of the word by imprisoning the leaders of the church? But the book of Acts is not about powerful leaders. It's about the Spirit of God working in the midst of servants and witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why over and over again, the theme, the markers, the the checkpoints in Acts is the word of God increased and multiplied and went out. It's not, and man, did Peter kill it that day. It's he almost got killed. You get it? It's the word of God. It's the spirit of God at work in the midst of the proclamation of God. And we are his servants and his witnesses. This book bears witness to the way that God, who has all authority, God, who has all power, and whose will is worked in perfection in heaven and earth, has so ordained that his church will not grow with great power, but rather his church will grow with humble service, in suffering and sacrifice. This is the order that the Lord of heaven and earth has ordained. Its greatest increase will not be in safety, and it certainly will not be in self-sufficiency. The growth of the church will be in suffering and sacrifice. We'll come to why that should not be surprise us in just a little while. It's always been the case with the people of God. You remember the Exodus, right? As we read this, there's a decent chance that the Exodus came to your mind. If you look here, it's being called to mind for us. The framing of the narrative reflects a, a sort of new Exodus for the church, the proximity to the Passover. In verse 3, in the second half of that verse, it says, this was during the days of unleavened bread, leading up to the celebration of the Passover. We find Peter, and what is he? He's in bondage, like the children of Israel in Egypt under a prideful ruler. We have the prayer of the people rising up to God. We have an angel of the Lord who is sent in rescue. We have something really peculiar that's just like the story of the Passover and the rescue of the people out of Egypt, that the speed of deliverance, throw on your cloak quickly, let us go now. 
And the rescue is out from under the nose of the enemy. Even though the enemy fits and rages, there's nothing the enemy can do to thwart the purposes of God. God is establishing his sovereign rule in the sight of his church for them to remember in face of anything yet to come as they spread and proclaim the word. The first statement that we are to pay attention to in this passage is that the king laid violent hands, and how very little good it did for the king. The second important phrase for us to see is that the chains fell off Peter's hands. The Lord, in in, in describing that and describing this whole event and giving us those powerful words and activity that the chains simply fell off the hands of Peter, What we see is the Lord isn't only freeing Peter. He's bearing witness to his power to save. Even when one of the Lord's own apostles has died at the hands of the enemy, just a little while before, the Lord is freeing another one of his witnesses from the king's grasp, all so that he might go on in the proclamation of the gospel. It, it's simultaneously true that the world would seek to chain the people of God and stymie the proclamation of the gospel of God, but the Lord will simultaneously see the word of God spread unchained. It's not without reason that this passage, Acts chapter 12, has been used as a, as a foundation for the songs of the people of God to symbolize salvation rescue for the people of God. Listen to this. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, right? Fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickling, quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The Lord is free to go wherever he wills. And he is free to shine lights into whosoever's hearts or whatever prison room he wills. What he sets free is free indeed. This is true. Today we see him enter a prison cell and set free the proclamation of the word yet again. We see him do it throughout Acts and throughout the history of the church for the proclamation of his gospel, for his glory and the good of his church. Now, no doubt Herod had heard of Peter's previous prison experience. Luke records in Acts chapter 5, the high priest throws the apostles into prison in that passage. The angel of the Lord opens the doors of the prison. He brought them out to stand in the temple and speak the gospel the next day. The same gospel that got them arrested in the first place. And what does the church do? They gather together when the apostles are freed shortly after to pray. What? That they would never get thrown in prison again? Obviously, that wasn't going to work. That they would be bold and continue on in gospel witness. The high priest sends to the prison to have the prisoners brought to them, only to find that the apostles were free and the preaching of the gospel had started all over again. And Herod, surely he'd heard about that episode, and he's not going to have any of this. As he describes, as Luke describes what Herod does here, he imprisons Peter with guards 
and chains and sentries guarding the door. And we see that they pass two more sets of guards before opening yet another locked door to get out of the facility. Herod is flexing his power and leveraging his authority to take control. He's in control. I mean, Herod, he just killed a man. And everybody's excited for him, right? He's flexing his control in the region. He's not going to let this one escape and destroy his plans to establish himself and his pride and his glory. It seems that Peter is going to be killed in a matter of days. Imagine how shocked Herod was when he hears that Peter had escaped. Look at verse 18. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance. (laughs) No little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Herod is not the only one who is shocked by the power of God in this passage. Now, if you continue reading, you see that it continues also among the church. They're a bit incredulous as well. Look at Peter's response to the rescue as we read through the passage. In verse 9, we see Peter thought that he was seeing a vision. Oh, this is like that time that the blanket came down from heaven. Okay, what does this mean? Right? And then Peter, in verse 11, it says, he came to himself. In verse 12, it says, he realized this. He's coming to realize this is really happening. I'm actually going to be set free. I'm going to live on to preach the word another day. This whole experience, it's shocking to Peter. Peter's friend and fellow apostle's dead. He's gone. He won't proclaim with his mouth anymore. And then he finds himself in prison and next in line on the chopping block. Now he finds himself being escorted again out of a prison by an angel of the Lord. And Peter's incredulous here. Peter isn't the only disciple who finds the whole thing pretty unbelievable. When Peter goes to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, he's greeted by a servant girl. And the shock and joy of finding Peter at the door, she doesn't even let him in. Oh, look, it's the guy who's been let out of prison. Why don't we leave him out on the street just a little bit longer? I'll go tell everybody about what's going on outside. Instead, she goes running into the house to tell everyone who's gathered there and praying for Peter's release. You know, the guy that's at the door. And then we see this little little phrase. It's the incredible intimacy of the passage. Look at verse 17. The, the one who's, who's writing this, Luke, is clearly personally familiar with these events, even records the gesture Peter made when he entered the room. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent. Do you hear that detail? This is clearly an eyewitness account. Luke can remember the day that he saw Peter went in and said, hey guys, shh, shh, shh. just got out of prison. The angel told me to throw on a cloak. Walked past these dudes, they didn't even see me there. Let me tell you about the way that the Lord has rescued me on this day that we can go on about gospel proclamation. Look at their response. They tell the girl before he enters that room, you're out of your mind, right? You must have seen an angel. It's more believable to them that there is an angel at the doorway than that an angel let Peter out of a prison. We, we don't understand these things. The power of God is beyond 
us. What do you mean? God has heard our cry and responded and restored Peter to us who, though we were praying for him, we had all but resigned to the fate of yet another Christian martyr. The whole group of believers are shocked as Herod himself will be shocked in a matter of time. They, Herod knew that he had guards at the door, knew that he had sentries outside the door, and yet Peter was gone. And the guards knew their lives were gone too. The whole situation leaves all of the people incredulous at the power of God to move and bear fruit for the further proclamation of the gospel. Whether it's the death of one of the God's apostles on the one hand, or the miraculous rescue of another, no one can claim to understand the perfect plan of God except for this. The people of God are to be about one business, the glory of God through the proclamation of his word. And that's the whole point of the passage, really. God is executing his plan. The spread of the gospel is finally and truly from beginning to end the work of God according to God's sovereign design. And therefore, to God alone be the glory, great things he has done. We get to bear witness to that. That's all we are as witnesses and servants of this great gospel. We've seen these two Powerful phrases, the king laid violent hands. We've seen the chains fell off. And now in this next section, we see the Lord struck him down. I don't have to spend a great deal of time to describe to you the events at the end of this passage. It's really quite simple. Remember Herod's grand design, right? He has a plan. He's busy orchestrating events and putting pieces in place, including putting people to death to celebrate the glory of his own name. But God's intention is to bring Herod low. Who do you think wins? Herod is busy moving forward the word of his power the word of his authority and the word of his glory. He's bringing into subjection all people to the mighty rule of his right hand. And the people proclaim the voice of a God, not of a man, but the same Lord who sent an angel to rescue Peter now sends his angel to strike Herod down. You see, God is about the same business in both places. Whether it's in salvation or judgment, it's about the moving forward of his word. It's that the world might know of his glory. That is actually, do you think that Herod is sufficient in his glory for the worship of any people? He's offering a corrective note in salvation and in judgment. In both of these things, God is good not to leave us with tiny little gods like Herod, but to bring them low that we might see his great glory. And then we have what really is the point of the passage, the most powerful verse in the whole thing, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. This passage isn't about Herod. It's not about James. 
James is, is really almost a footnote in the passage, the death of one of the Lord's apostles. It's not about Peter. And unfortunately, we, we will tend to make much of Peter. It's not about an angel. And it's amazing what took place. It's not about an angel. This passage is again about God. It's about God's absolute commitment to see the word of his gospel spread by the mouths and the lives of his witnesses, his martyrs, to bear witness to his glory for his glory and the good of his church. There is a passage that is quite interesting to me. It's humbling, a bit frightening to me. We covered it a number of months back when we went through Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 32 through 37. I would encourage you to do this. In your margin, up near the beginning of this chapter, back where it talks about the death of James, I would encourage you to mark down those verses. Hebrews 11, 32 through 37. Listen to what it says. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, right? Enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. We've just read about that. Just a couple weeks ago in Acts. And without hardly a pause, I wonder if it really should be a comma instead of a period there. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Friends, the point of Acts chapter 12 isn't how God rescues his servants. If that were the case, what do we make of James? You know, when a pastor looks at a passage and gets ready to preach, one of the questions that we ask is, what do I tell the church that they should really get out of this? And one of the things that I'm so tempted because it would sound so nice, and you would all say, that's such a nice sermon, pastor, that's so encouraging for me where I am right now as God rescues his people out of prison. And then I would offer a few illustrations, and I'd give a couple applications of what we should do while we wait for the angel to come. And James would stand as a voice over that sermon and say, what about me? If that was the truth of the word of God that James proclaimed, James was wrong. That's not the glorious truth of the gospel. The glorious truth of the gospel is that God has actually set his people free. That there is a hope that transcends the sword. That there is no sword that an earthly king could bring down on his people That there is no prison that we would be set free from that is greater than the prison of our sin and death, but that we have been set free to eternal life. What we are free to, 
what Peter is free to, and what we will see in the coming chapters that Paul is repeatedly set free to is to proclaim to live as Christ and to die as gain. You know what that means? I'm glad I get to be with you just a little bit longer for one reason and one reason only, so I can proclaim the gospel. That is my hope in life and death. The point of Acts chapter 12 is this. God's word will move forward. God's will will increase and bear fruit in the face of all opposition. And to not be on the side of his word moving forward and multiplying is to find yourself in the position of what? Opposition. Whether his witnesses suffer or even die or imprisoned or freed, God's word will remain and it will affect the purpose for which it was sent. That was James's hope. That was Peter's hope. Increasingly, that is the hope of the church. Let me tell you this morning, it's better to be a dead James than a dead Herod. Dead's going to happen. It's going to happen to Peter. It comes to him. It's going to happen to every single person in that church, including Rhoda, the servant girl. It's better to be a dead James proclaiming and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ than a dead Herod in his pride and his little God of himself. Let's remember the truth of the gospel this morning, the word of God that we see so powerfully going forward at the end of our passage this morning. That the Lord of all of creation, like that God, has come to earth in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That he came because a human race rebelled against his power and authority and pride and seeking of our own glory. We are all little Herods. Friends, I'm not the angel and I'm not Peter in this passage. I'm a little Herod. But the Lord has come for little Herods like me. And it is grace that I have seen a greater glory than my own. We are a people who by nature reject the truth and worth and way of our maker. But Jesus did not come in judgment first. He came to work salvation. He lived the only perfect and righteous life. He died to secure salvation for all who would believe in his name, for all who would repent and believe and place their faith in Jesus. Their sins would be forgiven Their little Herod ways would be co-opted and replaced by a sight of the glory of God and become not messengers of their own destruction, but rather messengers of salvation. The message of this passage is the word is unchained. It's the message for which James died, and it's the message for which Peter was set free to preach. And let me tell you what kind of church is birthed who believes in that message. Philippians 1, 27 through 28, the Apostle Paul is writing to them in hopes of visiting the Philippians. And he says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, or am absent, and his absence often meant that he was in prison, I may hear of you so that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith in the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. I long that that's what the church that God would plant right here, that he would establish us as a people that in our perseverance, in the midst of whatever suffering, or for us very often it takes the form simply of sacrifice that is required for us to proclaim the gospel and make much of him and not establish our own little kingdoms in this world, that we would find that witness, bearing witness to one another of the destruction that is found in this world but of the salvation that comes from God. There is a clear encouragement for us as a church, as those who have been saved and commissioned for the spread of the gospel. And this is our commissioning as a church. Two things. First, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is a better encouragement than God will set you out of the prison, whatever you happen to be in this morning. Nothing, even whatever you're in this morning, can separate you from the love of God, whether in death or in life, in suffering, sacrifice, or success. We have Christ. We have the hope of his gospel. James died, and James has Christ face to face, the very fulfillment of the gospel that he preached. Peter Set free. What does he have? Christ and the gospel that goes on to be preached. Brothers and sisters, you you have truly nothing at all to fear this morning. You are invincible until the day the Lord would bring you to see his face. You don't need to plot. You don't need to fit in rage like Herod. Your life is not out of control. It's out of your control. Make no mistake. I know that. I know how that feels. We don't like that. We are prone to wander after and fit and rage. But insofar as your life is leveraged for the glory of God, even if you suffer, you are absolutely under the sovereign salvation and kindness of your king. And you cannot be separated from that. You may trust in him. Therefore, If this is true, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, don't seek your own glory. Seek the glory of the Lord and the proclamation of his great name. Seek to honor the Lord, to seek his face, to bear witness to the word, to pray according to his will. And whether in life or in death, you will find yourself right in the middle of his good and perfect will. Finally, Nothing can stop the advance of God's word. Nothing can stop the advance of God's word. That is a tremendous confidence. Because in this world, I think of Mark chapter 4. I think of it often in this church planting endeavor that we are sharing in together. That the farmer goes out into the field and he has this seed. And the seed represents the word of God. And he spreads it liberally. He spreads it everywhere. And the absolute majority of it burns up by the sun or is choked out by the cares of the world. But there is a small portion that falls on fertile soil and it grows up 30, 60, 100 fold. Imagine if the farmer looked around and said, oh, how discouraging. 
look at all that dead seed bearing no fruit. Oh, what shall I do to fix and maybe manipulate? Maybe I should put out pots on the road and plant the seed in pots along the road rather than continuing about the simple strategy of the liberal proclamation of the word. That's the purpose of Jesus' giving of that parable is that the Lord will see to it that there is a soil prepared by his spirit that will receive the word with faith. And you know what? 30, 60, 100 fold fruitfulness is miraculous. That's not normal. Nothing can stop the advance of the word. And so friends, continue. Continue in proclamation, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, no matter the suffering, continue in the proclamation of the word. Let me suggest this so that you hear me clearly. The first place that you should proclaim the word and that it will bear miraculous fruit if it's received with faith is your own heart early in the morning. Proclaim the word. Remember the gospel. We often say preach the gospel to yourself. And trust that nothing can stop the advance of the word of God in your own heart. And then let that word overflow into your household. And then let us go into the communities of Brevard County. From that place, as the people who are growing up, as we see the fruit of God being born in our own soul, let us go into the communities of our neighborhoods and our workplace and around the world, bearing witness to the great glory of the word of God. Heavenly Father, in light of this passage, it is utterly right to say that we are absolutely dependent upon you for everything. Everything that is is sweet and good and eternal, sufficient, glorious, these things are captured our attention this morning and We are in absolute need of you for them. Lord, the fact is there are prayers in our midst this morning that are rising up to you, just as the church did rightly so pray for release from prison for Peter. There are prayers that I have prayed with brothers and sisters this week and prayers that people have offered for me for comfort and for rescue and for health and for many other situations in this world. And we continue and our our prayers rise up to you and you do often respond in a way that is miraculous and yet should not surprise us. And at the same time, Lord, undergirding all of our prayer is simply this. We know we have a good God and we know that your goodness transcends this light and momentary affliction. And so our hope is in the eternal glory of our God and the life that you have set aside for those who have believed. Lord, we confess that. We pray that that being our hope would be the gospel that we share, that we would not water it down with other vain hopes, but rather we would hold out the hope of an eternal glory. Lord, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, make it abundantly fruitful. 
that your church would grow and increase wherever the proclamation takes place across the whole of this county. Whatever believer it is, whatever church they come from, if it is the word of God, cause it to be fruitful, that the lost would be saved and the church would be equipped. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for these things in the name of Jesus, who has purchased these things by his own death first. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.